going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Philly Four Court Press. I'm your host, Big T. Will. I got the producer extraordinaire with me today, as always, Mr. Matt Marlowe. What's going on, Nat? Everybody, what's up? It's another fine, fine day here in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, the city of brotherly love, man. I tell you, I wish we had some more love in that brotherly, though. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, man, it's uh, nice. It's been nice to come out of there a little snow drifts here and there, and um, starting to warm up a little bit. And you can start noticing that by how people are driving out there, Nat. Yeah. Uh, well, what kind of drivers are you getting? Because I'm getting maniacs. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone wants to get loose and start driving like maniacs again because the weather's nice. So you know, just be careful out there. But um, we're driving. What's driving uh, me as a maniac right now is the 76ers, the stuff that's going on in the NBA, which we're going to get into. And we had a uh, guest on the uh, other side that we'll let you know later on in the show joining us. So, Nat, we've got a lot to cover, so let's just jump into it, you know. The first looks around the NBA real quick, Nat. Kyrie Irving has said something that's interesting. And I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Kyrie Irving, who is always in the news and really hasn't been lost for words in his shenanigans and what he does. And great, the things he does on the court are different than what he does off the court. And he gets judged by the things he does on the court, but he really is a good dude and gives back to the community off the court. And yeah, he has some wild thoughts and interesting plots but at the end of the day you know he does do what's right for uh his community so but that being said curry Irving has demand the nba to change its logo to kobe bryant so you know we are we're over a year or so of kobe's uh tragic incident and uh it hit the whole nba family hard and the logo has always been a subject of conversation you know during the jordan era and then well after the jordan era they uh, a lot of people and nba people thought the the logo should be changed to jordan's logo and now Kyrie says it should be changed to kobe's logo now what are your thoughts on changing the nba logo from jerry west and moving up with the times um you could really pull this off depending on the design, because the NBA logo with Jerry West, I mean, that's just an iconic design right there. I mean, you see, you instantly think of NBA. So I think if you design it and update the logo in such a sense where you can honor Kobe, respect Kobe, and still appeal to the vast majority of NBA fans, you know, they don't feel disrespected by changing it from Jerry West, then I think you there's a real potential to pull this off. When you first mentioned it, uh, and when Kyrie first mentioned, I was like, "What? No! Like, let's just keep it the way it is." And then the more I thought about it, it's like, "Well, you can totally do this if you wanted to." So I think the NBA should consider it. Yeah, I mean, listen, change is always good. They're always talking about change and pre- and preaching change. Why not change it? But you're right, though. See, the brand—it's all about the brand. And when you brand something, when you see it, you automatically think NBA when you see the logo. No matter what, you see the Jerry Jerry West logo, you think NBA. No ifs, ands, or buts. But when you see the Jordan logo, 
you think of Nike. So there are some Jordan logos because Nike sponsors a lot of the teams in the NBA with the Jordan logo on the front. Because if you notice that, the NBA logo is not on the front of the jerseys anymore. It's on the back underneath the, uh, the neck, right between the shoulder blades at the very top, where it used to be iconic on the top uh, left corner. Now it's in the back of the jersey. In the front of the jerseys, they have this, these advertisements of sponsorships and other logos from the advertisement because that was something that Adam Silver wanted to intertwine a little bit, mixing the soccer and the NBA. He's a huge soccer fan. So, you know, let's mix up what soccer's doing and, and try to uh, have some fun with it and put more logos and advertisements on NBA jerseys. So it kind of pushed the NBA logo to the back of the jersey now. So does it really matter if you change the logo? I mean, you could probably – the NBA probably could design a Kobe logo or a another a different Jordan logo and just put them on the jersey and no one would notice. You know what I'm saying, That Yeah, it's just one – maybe subtle changes would be the best thing to do in this. Subtle changes or – you implement a test logo and see what the fans think of it first before you actually implement your new official logo. Right. Test it in, let's say, the L.A. market or the New York market and see what kind of vibes you get with it and uh, go from there. But, you know, interesting that Kyrie brought that up and, you know, he's he's pretty pretty strong voice with it, demanding it. And, and uh, you know, I'd like to see which way it goes with with that. Um, also, Nat, we're going to look, uh, stay up north of us to the Boston Celtics, Nat. And we don't talk Celtics much, but Danny Ainge, uh, is not blaming his stars, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for the major funk right now. So if he's not blaming the stars, is he blaming his seven year coach, Brad Stevens, Nat? Because Boston right now is not playing well at all. They took a lot of uh, heartbreakers this past week. Uh, they were on national stage. They got buried by Luka Doncic with the uh, game winner the other uh, the other night. They lost. They got embarrassed by the Hawks last night, and then they lost in overtime to the Pelicans uh, last Sunday. So the last time they won was February nineteenth, and we're about to go into March in a couple couple days here. So can the Celtics rebound and get into the playoff hunt? Because right now they're on the outside looking in that the Celtics are ninth in the Eastern conference. They're tied with Miami and Miami looks like they have the, uh, the slight advantage uh, over Boston right now. Talk to me, Nat, what's going on up in Boston? What are you seeing? Well, look, Boston, it's, there's no, I, I don't see it. I just don't see any. I don't think that you can win with Brad Stevens. I don't think this late in the game they can make a real push for the playoffs. Like, yeah, they could squeeze in that final spot, but still, you, they're not going to make any type of deep playoff run just squeezing into the playoffs. What's the point? At this, you know what I think they should do? I think they should just eliminate an entire playoff round because we all know it's going to happen the first round. Like, that's when teams get bumped like that's it like that's where you get your sweeps that's where you know, the bottom barrel goes out you know it's not like hockey where 
anything and everything can happen. The NBA should remove the first round entirely and make it that much more competitive to get into the playoff spot. Then I think you actually make the playoffs more exciting. And it's funny you said that because Adam Silver went the other direction and had a playing game to get teams into the playoffs, kind of like a tournament style. No. And they're actually going to use they're going to use that this year, like they used in the bubble to finish uh, last season. Um, Danny Ainge said he isn't ready to throw the uh, throw his stars under the bus yet. You know, quote, I wish I had answers for you. I don't. Ainge said this on another radio station up north on the hub on Thursday. He says, I don't blame the players. I like them all individually. I think they have good futures. I just think right now our team is in a major funk. There was also reports that Ainge was trying to trade Kemba Walker while he was hurt. I mean, let's be honest. We all know Danny Ainge is a snake like that. And it seems right if he was. I'm not sure. I don't know. But if he was, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. That seems about right. We all know what kind of guy Danny Ainge is. He's always looking to get ahead. He wants to make his team the best team in the most viable situation for uh, the next player. He's always looking for that perfect deal. So, you know, shout-outs to the uh, Celtics. They got two players in the uh, All-Star game this year on the East, Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown, Uh, two well-deserving guys. Boston's got, got some issues right now, Matt. They really do. Boston it doesn't have Brett Brown in the division to make Brad Stevens look good. Yeah, and yeah, that's really. Brad it, Stevens is the new Brett Brown. Brad Stevens is the new Brett Brown, okay? But no, I can't really say, because Brad Stevens is a bad coach. I, I really think Boston is struggling right now. When Boston's playing good and L.A. is playing good and Philly's playing good, you know, all those strong markets, even the Knicks, the uh, Spurs, when those teams are playing well, the NBA is doing well. The Bulls as well, because that means all the all your strong markets are invested into the season and into the league. When you have your top markets that aren't playing well and struggling, then you know it's kind of tough for a lot of uh, a lot of people to get involved into other NBA teams and aspects. So you know it's pretty interesting to see what's going on up in Boston. Uh, me personally, I'm enjoying. It. Being a Sixers fan and hating Boston Celtics, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying seeing Bill Simmons complain. I'm enjoying seeing Kendrick Perkins talk about Boston and how he played there for eight years. I'm enjoying it. I hope they do suffer, and I hope they do miss the playoffs this season because nothing more than having my team as a fan win the the, the division and be the number one team in the conference, and Boston's home looking at us playing. You know what I'm saying, That How would that make you feel? I mean, it's nice to see the enemy go down, but at the same time, I'm always worried, <laughs> you know, when are they going to come back up? So primarily you want to focus on, you know, the Sixers and their current success right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Sixers having uh, some great success right now. Uh, as I said, they're sitting at the top of the standards. They're 21-11. Uh, and 11. They got a game. They got two games uh, this week, every other game. Uh, starting with uh, the Dallas Mavericks, who the Sixers lost to in Dallas last time they played by 10. Last time Dallas was here in Philly, they beat Philly, and that was without Dantich. So we get Ben and Luca tonight, Nat. What are you looking for with uh, Ben Simmons and, and Luca, who is starting to pick his game up after having a slow start? I mean, Luka Dantich is an absolute baller, so 
If Ben Simmons, now Ben Simmons struggles from defending guys from three. So if you can hold Doncic from three, then you're doing your job. Because Ben Simmons is a great defender from, you know, the two game range. But three, like that's where like he starts to suffer on defensive level. Now, again, all time defender. He is terrific, but that's actually the one area defensive game that he needs to improve on. So if he can guard Luke from there, then he'll be complete defensively. And it's funny, though, because Luke is shooting below 30% from beyond the arc. But it seems like every time you watch a highlight or you, you watch Dallas plays, he's burying a three from behind the arc. So uh, Ben's got a tough task tonight. Um I personally think Luca has that that old school herky jerky game where he's not the quickest guy on the court, but he gets to his spot somehow, some way, because he's got good feet work and he he has he moves his body well. So I think Ben's length could disrupt him a little bit, but Ben also has to make sure he's locked in and doesn't go for all them don't them quick fakes and the, the, the shoulder fakes and hedges and stuff. Ben's got to really dig in and uh, guard Luka. Um, it's going to be fun to see because, like I said, Philly got beat by 10 last time they played them. And then when Dallas was here, they smoked us in uh, 2019, 117 to 98. Um, it's going to be fun, Nat. It's going to be fun. And you got all these two are all-stars along with Joel Embiid. And speaking of Joel Embiid, Nat, I got a clip for you. Nat, play that clip from uh, Max Kellerman talking about Joel Embiid. Let me tell you something. This shocked me. First of all, offensively, look at all the numbers. He's been the best. He's like, Look at all the numbers. He's been the best offensively. Defensively, I would argue, he's also been the best. There's offense and there's defense. Well, what else is there? There's winning. His team has the best record in the conference. They can't win without him. Very, you know, much, much better record with him than without him, in spite of the fact that Simmons is also playing very well. No, it's Joel Embiid, and here's something that blew my mind. Guys, do you know who has the highest scoring average per 36 minutes in the history of the NBA for their careers? For their careers, because Jordan's number one. KD is number three. Kobe's on that list in the top 10. Number one per 36 minutes for his career after he dropped 50 the other day? Joel Embiid. People don't know. And, and this year, guys, he's in shape and he's healthy. He's been the best player in the league so far. Now, when I heard this clip and Max Kellerman giving praises to Joel Embiid, I almost fell out of my chair because this guy don't like to praise anybody in Philadelphia, let alone give us uh, a nod like that. Well, it helps that Carson Wentz is not a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's where <laughs> that helps Joel Embiid's case out a lot. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a different sport. But uh, you're right. That does help out a lot. But Joel Embiid is putting up historic numbers for the big man. I mean, he, he's, he's put himself in a category that is easily discussed about which era of Sixers would you choose right now? And we're going to get into that later later on in the show. But I want to throw that out to you as you sit there and ponder on it. I don't want your answer now on that, but uh, I want to throw this out to you, and we'll bring it back later. Out of the eras of Embiid, Iverson, uh, you know, just in those two decades, you know, which era are you choosing? Just chew on that 
for a minute, and then we'll come back to that later. Uh, but Joel Embiid is he is a beast right now, an absolute beast. Yeah, he had he struggled against Nick Nurse, but let's be honest, Nick Nurse is a great coach. He understands how to defend Embiid, and you know when you have a good coach and a good system, it's going to hurt Embiid. You know he put all kinds of looks. At Embiid, he brought the double team at different situations at Embiid. You know, Embiid had 18 and 12 and a 36-minute run, but the Sixers got the W. And, he, you know, he had a couple bad turnovers, but overall he made good decisions passing out of the double team. And, I mean, it, that was a good team win the Sixers had, bouncing back from the, the loss they had against Toronto the night before, 110 to 103, where Embiid was frustrated, but he had 25 and 17. So he still got his numbers, but they took the L. So I'd rather take the less uh, of Embiid and get the W than have the dominant Embiid where we get the loss. And Ben Simmons didn't play that well. It's funny, though, because in that first game, the Sixers got a lot of shots. They got a lot of good looks that didn't fall. And in the second game, they got those same looks, and they actually were making those shots. You know, shout-outs to the guy who was supposed to be Korkmaz, who was supposed to be Bench, who got – who had to start and roll and gave you 16 minutes, 16 points in the first quarter. I mean, without that, the Sixers probably don't even win that game, Nat. Yeah, you're right. Furkan Korkmaz. How many threes did he get? He got like five threes that first quarter. It was yeah, he was on. He he was in fuego, man. He he was on fire. And but he also got Shake Milton. You know, where Brett Brown told Shake he was out of rotation. Doc told Korkmaz, "Look, Isaiah Joe getting your minutes." You got to earn your minutes and play your minutes. And and the very next day, Court Miles was in the starting rotation. Now, Isaiah Joe did get four minutes of burn. He had one rebound, no points, no assists. But, you know, it's a tough situation. The Sixers got to – they got to make a move to bolster the bench. They got to booster the bench somehow, some way. Uh, desperately need a sh- uh, stretch four to come off the bench and get some uh, buckets. Ersan um, Ilyasova is out there. You know, DeMarcus Cousins is out there. We talked about Belly in Sacramento. Um, Glenn Robertson is out there now. Uh, he might be, be – I think he already got released. Uh, Nat, would you bring uh, Glenn Robertson back with this coaching staff? GR3, uh, I kind of would want to see how he can play under Doc Rivers, but – on the flip side of that coin, I don't think the potential is very high. So I'm going to go with no. Okay. I look at it as a low-risk, high-reward situation because GR3 can play. We know he could ball prior to him coming here. I just don't know what his relationship was in the locker room with Tobias, Ben, and Joe because there was a lot of, you know – stories coming out about accountability, this person, that person last season. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't sign back because they didn't have any money. Uh, Alec Bergson signed back, you know, both of them were going. Then Josh Richardson was going. Al Horford was moved. So it's a whole new core with this team, but whoever you add is going to have to one, understand their role. And two, know that, you know, in doc system, everything runs through the big man. You know what I'm saying, that? Yeah. And, you know, again, maybe there is potential because, I mean, 
sometimes new coaches can make things better, and sometimes new coaches can make things worse. Doc Rivers has done, for this team, made things a whole lot better. But there are some cases where, you know, he hasn't brought out the potential in guys like Mike Scott. You still want to see more from guys like Furkan Korkmaz, and just the second unit in general needs a lot of help. So, you know what? I think you kind of sway my opinion a little bit. So, yeah, let's see uh, that low-risk, high-reward. GR3, I'm about it now. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, why not, right? Why not? It won't hurt. It, could, it, ha- it has to be better than what we're getting out of Korkmaz, Isaiah Joe, and our other rookies. But um, a team to watch out for right now, Nat, is the uh, Brooklyn Nets. They are on fire right now. Uh, I got a clip, another clip for you from uh, Big Perk. Big Perk loves to talk. Nat, play that clip from uh, Big Perk talking about uh, Harden. Well, well, with all due respect to Goat LeBron James and Joel Embiid and Big Jokic, the best player in the league this year, February as is February twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, has been James Harden. Look, not only is he's the best player, he's the best point guard in the league. And if you look at what James Harden has been doing this season, this season is arguably his best season of his career. Yes, he's only averaging 25 points, but we all know he's capable of averaging 30. He's done it the last three years, averaged 30 plus a night. But look, on top of that, he is averaging his highs in rebounding at 11.6. He's he's averaging, I mean, at assists, he's averaging 11.6 assists, leading the league in assists. He's averaging 8.5 rebounds, his, uh, his, his career high. He's averaging a career high of shooting 50 from the field. So let me take you down memory lane for a second. They just went on, the Brooklyn Nets just went on a West Coast trip. First stop, Golden State Warriors. James Harden goes into Steph Curry Arena and gives him that business. They take a bus ride to Sacramento. He goes down, been hearing the chatter by De'Aaron Fox. He gives them that work. And then on the back-to-back, he goes to Phoenix. Without Kevin Durant and without Kyrie Irving being down 21 at the half while the Phoenix Suns have been on the six-game winning streak at home and goes and drops 38, 11, and 7. And then he flies to L.A. back to Compton, back to Compton where he was born and raised and take on the top dogs in the Lakers and Clippers and hand them the business. And then fly back home. We leave off the road. We went 5-0. and oh. We come back to the crib. Forget the time zone. That's not going to affect me. Well, Sacramento King, ha- Kings have been waiting on them. And guess what? He dropped a 29-point triple-double with a dub without Kevin Durant again. The Nets are on the seven-game winning streak. This is some of the best basketball that I've seen James Harden play. And right now, today, he is the best player in the league. I mean, listen. Yeah, they came off of that that West Coast trip, and they and they hoop, and and Harden was balling. But to say Harden is the best player in the NBA right now, and to say that just that because they came off that road trip, I think that's a stretch. Where Embiid has been more dominant, game in and game out. Yeah, Harden's just getting comfortable with the situation. And Harden's doing what he, you know, what everybody in the NBA community knows he can do. So this isn't something new. 
they're starting to gel. But ultimately, Pert, when it comes down to it and it gets down to the small ball in the playoffs, how are they going to defend that paint? They look like they need some clarity when it comes to the paint because they're allergic to it. Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. Rim shot there. I, 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 I mean, seriously, these guys, man, they don't cover the paint at all, and they're not big. So, uh, you know, I'm still riding with Embiid. That first half MVP right now is still to me is Embiid. Um, and I'm going to go with that, Nat. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. James Harden, yeah, he's the best shooter in the NBA. Offensively gifted. But Joel Embiid, I think, is a lot more reliable. And you get offense and defense out of him. I mean, 50 points in one game. And, like, the numbers he put up that game were just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, seeing Joel Embiid play in his prime right now, I mean, say what you want about the Sixers not getting hardened or whatever. But, you know what? I think you can make the argument that maybe Joel Embiid doesn't need James Harden. James Harden needs Joel Embiid. If Joel, yeah, if Harden was here in Philly, it's like Hardy needs Kyrie and KD to get over the hump. So, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, coming up, what do the Cleveland Cavaliers have to do to beat the Sixers on Saturday night? We'll talk to co-hosts from Locked On Cavs and WKYC3 News, Evan Demerell from Cleveland. That is so much more on this edition of Philly Full Court Press. Grab your drinks, family. Stay with us. We'll be back after these quick commercial breaks. If you want to make something that truly reflects the city of Philadelphia, it better be great. It better stand the test of time. You better expect to work if you want the results. That's just how the city was built. And that's just how we're made. You see, here, greatness requires a push and a pull. A challenge, a goal, a chase, a pursuit. But when you get there, by day or night, you'll turn the curve into as great a city as you'll find anywhere. Where the stars light up the night, reflecting icon. Rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. Reflecting greatness. Iverson has Jordan. Yeah! Reflecting the spirit of competition that has fueled us from the start. Built for the city. Built for the night battle. What's up, everybody? It's Carmelo Anthony. Hope everyone is staying healthy. During this time, you know, we should all be looking out for one another and staying calm. Staying safe. I'm just trying to stay positive as much as possible. Continue to spend this great time with your loved ones. I think it gives us a lot of perspective. Call some of your friends or your family and let them know how much you you love them and how much you care about them. Practice compassion. We have to be kind and really practice a sense of community. We're going to get through this thing one way or another. And the appreciation level for everything will be at an all-time high. We all miss fans and our teammates and basketball. This is only a virus that we can beat together. Hopefully we'll be seeing you guys soon and back on the floor. Say see ya. See ya. Yeah, Joel Embiid of Philadelphia. Fourth straight selection. Averaging just under 30, which is number four, a career high. 11 rebounds, 
12 games of 30 points or more, matching his total from last year. Most consecutive starts for wow. a sixer since Allen Iverson. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Philly Full Court Press. I'm your host, T. Will. Got Nat Marlowe. And uh, like I said on the other side, that uh, we have co-host of Locked on Cavs, WKYC 3 News, uh, Evan Demerell from Cleveland. We're going to talk a little Cavs hoops and see with uh, what's going on in Cleveland and see how the Sixers and Cavaliers matchup might look like on Saturday because – Last time the Sixers faced the Cavs, remember, Joel Embiid did not play on the 27th. Cavs got, gave the Sixers the work. They gave them some business, 118 to 94. Uh, Sixers did not shoot well at all that, that night. And the Cavs were hot, and the ball was moving around. So I'm going to bring Evan in. Evan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. So – Looks like in uh, Cavalier uh, land right now, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the Kevin Love situation. Uh, what's going on with that? Because it seems like between Kevin Love and the front office with with uh, Dan, there's there's not a lot of communication. It's a it's a tough situation for sure when it comes to Kevin and the Cavs. I think he wants to be traded. I think the Cavs know he wants to be traded, but he's making thirty one point three million this year and next year. He's making a little bit less the following year, and he's on the wrong side of thirty at this point. He's off injured, and unfortunately against your Sixers, he only played nine minutes after playing way too many minutes the night before against the Detroit Pistons, and he was dealing with an Achilles injury in the preseason, and he was shut down after that with a, what was a first fear to be an Achilles injury, and thankfully it was just a calf strain. But he's been shut down for quite a while now. Um, the Cavs are a conservative organization when it comes to injuries. They try to do right by players and not rush them back. So Kevin Love probably won't be back Saturday night against Philadelphia, but he could be coming back maybe before the first half of the season wraps up for Cleveland. But yeah, it's just a weird situation overall. I think if he was able to stay healthy and show that maybe he isn't the Minnesota player he once was, but still a respectable player overall. I mean, like a a third fiddle, a third banana for our championship team. There'd be more teams knocking on the Cavs door asking about his availability, but I think he's going to be riding it out for at least another year just because of how often he gets hurt. Yeah. Kevin Love, Minnesota was an absolute monster. Uh, LeBron, you know, wanted him. He got him. They won the championship. And it seems like after that, Kevin Love has been a shell of himself, which was really strange. I've always been a big Kevin Love fan and um, just thought that was interesting that, um, you know, how everything was playing out back uh, up there with you guys. Uh, another storyline that's that's kind of playing out right now is Andre Drummond. So Detroit trades Andre Dumb- Drummond to Cleveland, which is inside the Eastern Conference where you don't see that much uh, teams trading amongst each other in the same conference. And now all of a sudden – Cleveland shutting Andre Drummond down and looking for, you know, potential buyers. Uh, What's going on with that situation? 
It's it's that's also just another uncomfortable situation. I think his value was pretty low in Detroit last year, and the Cleveland was able to get him for two expiring contracts and a future second via Golden State, which is a late second round pick. So the Cavs took a flyer on an all-star caliber player to see if he could fit in with what they're trying to build with Kevin Love and with a lot of these younger players to see if maybe they could be a playoff team. And uh, Jared Allen just magically became available in that James Harden trade, and the Cavs were able to be the got the team that were able to pick them up. And I, I said this on my show, Locked on Cavs, but it takes two to tango, and Andre Drummond wasn't the right dance partner for the Cavs, so they went out and found a new one in Jared Allen, and they just kind of started prioritizing the future over what's now and just told Drummond to stay home. They are going to start Jared going forward, and I think the fact that he's making $28 million and the fact that he's a former All-Star, you just really can't ask him to come off the bench without creating a little bit of drama. So I think it's best for all parties involved to keep it home. And uh, we're, we're this February 25th, so we are a month away from the trade deadline. So I think the Cavs are trying to move him, but if they don't, they'll buy him out and then give him the time to sign with the playoff team and maybe try and maximize his value because around the league, not too many people are high on Andre Drummond at this time. Is it more or less for his uh, work ethic, attitude? Uh, what's he like in the locker room? He's a great locker room guy. His teammates love him. His coaches love him. J.B. Bickerstaff shared with the media when they had made the announcement that they're going to be moving on from him. That it was one of the hardest decisions and one of the hardest conversations he made as a coach because he's a beloved guy and a good teammate by all accounts. But I think a lot of it's work ethic. I know a lot of people can point to when Jared Allen was traded to Cleveland, there's a noticeable difference in Drummond's attitude and play style, especially in a contract year. If you ask the Cavs or if you ask Bickerstaff or Drummond, that's not the case. There's no animosity or beef between him and Allen. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there's no animosity or hatred, but uh, Drummond probably was playing with his eyes over his shoulder a little bit, just waiting for the opportunity to kind of fall away from him in Cleveland. And, I think it was clear at that point also that the Cavs just had zero interest in keeping Drummond beyond this season. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just at that point, it's okay to move on. And it's unfortunate because uh, my buddy's a Sixers fan and he always looks forward to the Joel Andre rivalry. And we won't be able to see that this year (laughs) between him and Cleveland. Uh, Yeah. And B's and beat always says he's got a real estate in Drummond's head. And, and uh, you know, that that's one of the, the, the matchups we like to see also, as well as the Westbrook Embiid. And when Westbrook got traded to uh, Washington, uh, you know, Philly fans were a little excited to see that on a daily basis more than oh, twice a year. No, so, uh, yeah, we get we got uh, Evan Demarello from Lockdown Cavs with us. Uh, Evan, you know, you touched on my uh, topic about uh, Jared Allen. I thought that was a great move for the Cavs considering what was going on with Kevin Love and Andre Drummond. And it seems like it just fits. You know, you're mm-hmm. just talking about that, how, you know, it, it just the, 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 the way the team has been playing inspired. And he gave everyone else a list, especially down low. He's not afraid to bang. Uh, Cleveland's coming off a, a pretty good win against uh, Houston. Uh, Allen had 26 and 18 with two assists. I uh, had about 37 minutes to run, and actually he led the team in scoring uh, the other night. Uh, what's uh, Cleveland's plans on getting him more involved in the offense? I think benching Drummond and starting Allen was a clear indicator that they're getting him involved in the offense, and I think Jared is also just a the opposite of what Andre Drummond is. He's a low-usage center where he is mm-hmm. – 
getting passes from these young guards and he kind of accentuates what Cleveland's trying to build. And it's still crazy to me to think he's only 22 years old and he's already such a refined player. And he considers himself a vet after being in the league for four years, but he's still got room to grow and improve upon too. But um, no, the Cavs are definitely going to be trying to get him more involved as a lob threat, as a pick and roll partner between Garland and Sexton and just kind of that, just a presence down low. Like he's a defensive anchor, as we already know. I think Embiid's going to give him some problems on Saturday because not to poo-poo what Atlanta and Houston have to offer, but those are Cleveland's last two wins. But Joel Embiid's an MVP candidate and a different monster in himself. But no, Jared really gives him a lot of respective respect defensively and he's also a good offensive threat and Kobe Altman said this after they traded for him it's good to have him in-house because they have every intention of keeping him long term and I think this is the right plan and just starting him now and getting him integrated the younger guys are going to be here long term as well yeah with uh, Garland Sexton and um, Allen I think that's a pretty nice nucleus to uh, start building around and if you're going to rebuild you might as well do it now you know move those contracts because Kevin Lowe's contract is up there with uh, Otto Porter Jr.'s contract. I mean, those two contracts are – I don't think any NBA team would want to touch those. Uh, you also got Kevin Lowe's contract as well. But, uh, you know, yeah. Cleveland has some – Cleveland has some building pieces they could work on. Um, what does Cleveland have to do to win Saturday night against uh, Embiid and uh, Simmons uh, and the Sixers? Well, if Joel Embiid doesn't play like he did the first time around, I think the Cavs have a better shot. I think J.B. Bickerstaff's strategy was to get Dwight Howard into foul trouble early, and it worked. And that was through feeding, force-feeding Andre Drummond and just trying to get uh, Philly's remaining center rotation in trouble and then just letting it play from the in- – that's Cleveland's strategy for the better part of this year is playing from the inside than out. And I don't realistically think that's going to happen, but maybe just maybe the Cavs are an underdog team. They kind of catch Philly off guard because they're such a just there's such a difference between these two squads that maybe that's the case. Maybe they try to do that with Jared Allen as well, and maybe Embiid bites a little bit, but Embiid's just playing at such an insane level. It's just hard to really beat him. And then containing Joel and then trying to contain Ben Simmons is also a key thing as well. Um, you try and Stop! I know it's cliche to say, but you stop the two stars and you let the other guys try and beat you. Mm-hmm, that's like mm-hmm. that's the Cavs' best chance to hang in this one because Philadelphia is just too talented at this point. And I think, like I said um, before, we I came on, I shared with you, like if the Cavs didn't win these last two games, there wouldn't be a lot of good to talk about <laughs> here. Um, I Cavs fans are riding high off these two wins, and I think playing Philly might sober them up a little bit and kind of put things back into perspective of where this team's really at. Yeah, see, it's funny, though, um, because every time, like I said to you uh, prior to us talking, that Philly seems like they struggle with Cleveland. No matter who's there, who's playing, it's just one of those teams that they always struggle and let them hang around. Uh, Larry Nance Mm -hmm. could go off. Um, Garland, Sexton, they're lethal. You know, those two, those young guards are lethal. They're quick. They're always moving. And they have confidence. And little guards are something the Sixers have, you know, always struggled with as in the Ben Simmons era with Joel Embiid. Um, Colin Sexton, I mean, the kid keeps growing each game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's a piece where he's coming up on, you know, a contract extension soon, right? What's Cleveland's thoughts with him? 
Well, I know the mentality on Sexton side of things is he's looking for a max extension with Cleveland. I think De'Aaron Fox is a good player to compare him to. And I know Fox got a pretty contract from Sacramento as well. So I think it's just that's the reality of being a small market team. When you have a homegrown star like Colin Sexton, you're going to have to pay extra to keep him around. And especially because Sexton, like you said, is a bona fide stud. He has surpassed everybody's expectations coming out of Alabama. Nobody thought he was a three-point shooter, so he became a – elite three-point shooter and now he's an elite three-level scorer who's working on his defense and his playmaking and it's kind of incredible to watch him grow on a game-to-game basis and he is Cleveland's most exciting player uh I'm sure many of people know he went nuclear against the Brooklyn Nets when their big three had their debut and that was kind of his uh that was kind of that, that was kind of his game on a national scale where everyone's like this Colin Sexton kid's got something going here but I, by all accounts, Cleveland loves him. They view him as the cultural leader and the leader going forward for this team. Um, Colin loves Cleveland from the bottom of his heart. He's invested in a few small businesses and trying to establish his branding here and just ingrate himself with the community a bit more too. Um, I think there's a mutual love here, and I think it'd be a pretty easy decision for both sides to lock him up. Now, I don't know what the contract would be. I don't know if you can sign a young guy with so many unknowns with him to a max deal, but he's only 22. He still pretty ref- still has a lot of refining left in his game, but the Cavs got a good one, especially at, with the eighth overall pick, which historically isn't great. Um, no, they definitely have a piece going forward, and whether he's a two or a one or a starter or a six man, the Cavs have one of their guys that they can build upon. And like you said, a good nucleus with Garland, Sexton, and Allen. Yeah, I mean, and they're all under twenty five years old, so that's where it starts. Yeah, I mean, you got young players in, in in your organization, and you got your eggs in the basket that are under twenty five. I mean, and like you said, Allen's been here four years now in the NBA. So he considers himself a vet, and you got Garland and Sexton. I mean, Cleveland could turn it around quick. I mean, look what New York did. New York has turned it around pretty well as, also. Um, mm-hmm. Sexton, man, 23 points this year, uh, 48% shooting. Uh, he's over 40%, a little over 40% from beyond the arc. Uh, his foul shooting is improving. Um, what does Sexton do to take his game to the next level? That's a that's a tough question because my co-host on Locked On Cavs, Chris Manning, wrote a really good piece over the summer about how Colin needs to start using that physicality he plays with to get draw contact mm-hmm. and get to the line, and he's been doing that a lot ever since the season started. But I think just the biggest bugaboo with his game is he doesn't have the vision to be a creator, but he's shown at times he can be a bit of a facilitator and maybe a second fiddle to Darius Garland in Cleveland's offense to keep the rock moving, but if he continues to work on that and he also has i believe a seven foot one or seven foot two wingspan so if he taps into his god-given abilities it just becomes an average defender because over his first two seasons colin has been statistically one of the worst defenders in the league if he's able just to tap into his god-given abilities and become a good defender i think that's a great starting point for cleveland right there just because if he's respectable as that and since his at that level and then if offensively there's no limit to what he can and can't do because like i said he became a three-point shooter he's using contact to draw fouls he's hyper focused and hyper obsessed with numbers and efficiency so he wants to make sure he's taking the right shot so he's setting up himself and his teammates for success so i think the Cavs just kind of have the right guy with the right mentality and he just has to work on that playmaking and defense a little bit just to round out his game but if he becomes average or passable at both of those, the sky's the limit for the kid on what he can truly be. Yeah, talking with uh, Evan Demerell from Locked On Cavs. A uh, little Cleveland Hoops action right now coming up on Saturday. we got the Sixers and Cavaliers. Uh, 
is the right coach in place for this this young trio to get Cleveland um, into the playoffs potentially this season or next season? Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. J.B. Bickerstaff is a very well-respected coach in this league. Um, mm-hmm. I know the John Bayline experience was an interesting one, to say the least, for the Cavs. Um, it didn't really end as they thought it would. They, they they say their plan was to always have Bickerstaff take over for Bayline, but this was a lot sooner than they thought. But just the way Bickerstaff has become a leader of men for this locker room, like he commands the respect of key veterans like Kevin Love because Bickerstaff was on – uh, coaching was on the coaching staff in Minnesota when Kevin Love was a rookie and a younger player, and so they have experienced each other there. Uh, uh, Bickerstaff has experienced with Andre Drummond and other key veterans as well, and like he's building a defensive first mentality. And for a little while before Cleveland got banged up, they were a top defensive team as well, and he really had the team bought in and engaged. And he's again, he works like Colin. He's a he's a, he works with analytics offensively. He spent the better part of this offseason because Cleveland had nine months off because of the pandemic and they really studied film and they took pages from Denver and Miami and other teams that are just hyper efficient as well, both defensively and offensively and try to take pages out of their books and learn like, okay, well, what, what's making these teams successful? And mm-hmm. they're trying to do that as well. And it's not only that, but just JB Bickerstaff is a leader in the community as well. Um, the Cavs have launched a huge social justice campaign and they've made Bickerstaff kind of the, one of the forefronts and vocal leaders. And he's been a big advocate for making sure everyone's registered to vote. And he's big and in, in working with the black community in Cleveland in order to make everyone feel integrated and welcome. And mm-hmm. I think just it's what he brings to the table is invaluable, both on and off the court for Cleveland. And I think he's the perfect coach for what they need right now. I couldn't tell you what they need in the future because basketball is always an ever evolving beast. And depending on how the season goes and how the draft goes for Cleveland, things could change then as well. And their timeline could change, but right now this is the right coach for Cleveland. And that's something they need more than anything is stability because Colin Sexton has been through four coaches in two years and they need a little stability at that point, just to kind of level things out for these younger guys so they can properly develop and grow. Yeah, it's funny you said that because stability is key, man, especially with young talent. Uh, we just went through that with uh, Brett Brown here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think he was too much of the nurturer and didn't allow Embiid and Simmons to grow. Um, you know, sometimes it, it ha- you have to have the right voice. And if you don't have that right voice, then your young players aren't going to respond. respond. But I think Biggerstaff does have that voice for the young talent out there right now. Um, you brought up something that you're not too sure about what Cleveland might need. Um, just looking over the roster and myself peeking in on Cleveland's games here and there, uh, potentially a bench. When you, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cle- Cleveland's bench right now is, is not that good. It's cost them a couple games where they had a couple leads going into the uh, second quarter or coming out of halftime. Um, they ask a lot from their young players, but they're only getting, it looks like only Osman is the only guy really giving you steady production off the bench. Um, is Cleveland going to make a move, uh, all for post pre all-star at the uh, trade deadline, or you think they're going to stay pat and ride this one out till next season? I think the Cavs are going to be sellers at the deadline more than anything. They'll be looking to acquire picks, young players for some of their, pieces off the bench like you said they don't really have a lot of guarantees i mean even osmond is in a certainty because he has so many peaks and valleys as a player where 
you really have to kind of figure out early in the game what Jetty Osmond we're getting tonight. Like he could be abysmal offensively and defensively, or he's passable defensively and looking great from three point range. And that's he's too much of a variable in a wild card. So the Cavs really do need depth, and that's always a thing they need. Um, especially on the perimeter. That's something they definitely need as well. Like I know they drafted Isaac Okoro, but it doesn't hurt to have wings in such a uh, perimeter heavy league at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think the Cavs are really looking to make a move, maybe some small moves just to see if there's like a young player. I know Dante Exum was a good example of that, like a guard who is off injured in Utah, who was kind of falling out of favor and out of the rotation. The Cavs had a need at the backup gardens on the wing as well. And they could say, okay, we'll take a stab at this young guy. See if he works. If he does, we'll keep him around. If not, he's just another trade asset for us. And there go. Dante Axon became the trade asset for Jared Allen, but the Cavs was probably trying looking to move Andre Drummond, maybe Kevin Love, if they can maybe find a team who's interested in sinking their teeth into him earlier instead of later, just acquire some draft picks and look ahead towards the future. I know the team talked about trying to be a playoff threat. Maybe they could be a play in tournament threat somehow, some mm-hmm. way, but I don't really see that happening. And I think the Cavs, like I said, when they benched Andre Drummond and told him to stay home, they're prioritizing the future over now. And some people call that tanking, but with the lottery odds being flattened, I don't think tanking can be as incentivized anymore. So they'll be, they're, they're a good, bad team. They're a, bad team that thinks they're good and they're <laughs> trying their best every night and that's all you can really ask for for a young team because losing can really ruin a culture you're trying to build and if you have a team who's actively trying to win even if they lose a quite a few games i think that's a good place to be and yeah just to answer your question at the deadline i don't see them making a bunch of moves uh just maybe just offloading assets and trying to acquire stuff for the future my brother we could talk a whole segment about tanking Trust me, yeah. I know about I know all about tanking with the uh, with the experience that I myself just went through as a Sixers fan in the uh, Sixers community as well. Um, good stuff, man. I gotta get you on record. Um, who's your uh, first half MVP? Who's your uh, MVP of the uh, season? And uh, who's your defensive player of the year? Oh, this is tough because I know Andre Drummond said he was going to be defensive player of the year, and that didn't happen, but. In terms of defensive player of the year, I'm going to go with Joel Embiid for sure. MVP, this is a tough pick as well. Joel had definitely has a running for it, but I think I'm going to lean more towards Donovan Mitchell just because of how well the Jazz are playing. Wow, right now. picking Donovan Mitchell out of the pack. I just the, after the beatdown they gave the Lakers last night, I think the Jazz are for real, and I'm going to take them a little bit more seriously than just the Lakers' little brother in the playoffs, but. <laughs> And then in the first half, the MVP would probably be Mitchell as well, just because the the Jazz are just incredible. Like they're just systematically beating up teams. And Milwaukee's taking a few steps back. I think I question quite a few of their moves this offseason, mostly keeping Mike Budenholzer. And I think the East is wide open. And with Philly playing so well under Doc now, I think it's going to be an interesting race. So I'm going to be got to keep your eyes focused on the West. And there's a there's a bit of a monster brewing in Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. There's definitely something going on in Salt Lake City. Um, I got to see more of it and see what they do uh, second half and going into the playoffs, though. But uh, great stuff, man. Hey, Evan, man, I'd like to have you back on when the Sixers play Cavs later on in the season. Uh, you yeah, guys can check out you guys can check out Evan on Locked On Cavs and uh, Evan, give everyone your social media so we can give you a follow. 
Well, you can find me on Twitter at amnotevan. Uh, that's a really dated Childish Gambino reference. <laughs> but um, um, I'm on Locked on Cavs five days a week. Uh, every weekday, we're on WKYC once a week. And we were – that's the local news station in Cleveland. But I write at Forbes and Fear the Sword as well. I'm doing a little bit of everything with the Cavs. But, yeah, no, I like to talk hoops. I like to talk anything. And thank you again for having me. Oh, man, we appreciate it. Uh, that was Evan Demerell. From uh, Locked on Cavs, this is Philly Full Court Press. I'm your host, T. Will. That's Nat Marlowe. We'll be back after these quick commercial breaks. Hey, Vito's. Hey, yo. One, two, steak. We know that we're asking Americans to do a lot right now. So we're asking everyone to be selfless for others so that we can protect those who are most susceptible to this virus. A question I often get asked is why should young people care about the spread of coronavirus? Well, we know that people with underlying medical conditions over the age of 60 are at highest risk, but they've got to get it from somebody. Social distancing is really physical separation of people. It's what we refer to when we ask people to stay at least six feet apart. Not going to bars, not going to restaurants, not going to theaters where there are a lot of people. It all just means physical separation so that you have a space between you and others who might actually be infected or infect you. We all have a role to play in preventing person-to-person spread of this disease, which can be deadly for vulnerable groups. For more information on how you can social distance, please go to coronavirus.gov. Straight all-star selection for Ben Simmons, former Rookie of the Year, is ninth in assist, sixth in steals, and leads the NBA in deflections per game. His Sixers are first in the East. He has three triple-doubles and a career high of 42 against Utah. All right, everybody, welcome back to uh, Philly Full Court Press. I'd like to give a shout-out and thank uh, co-host of Locked On, Kaz, uh, Evan Demerell, for jumping on with us, giving us that uh, great insight on Cleveland and uh, Saturday night's game versus the uh, Sixers. Uh, Nat, man, listen, I know we didn't do it, but we still got to congratulate Dan and Joe for making the All-Star team and Doc Rivers for uh, becoming the All-Star team Durant uh, head coach. Um, there was a lot of snubs, Nat. A lot of snubs, and one of the snubs came from Philly. And you called it. You said that you weren't sure if he was going to make it. And Tobias Harris, based off the competition around the league at his position, um, Nat, what made you say that you didn't think Toby was going to make it with the the season he's having right now? He just doesn't have the branding that everyone else has. I mean. He doesn't. Have, he's not as much of a sexy name as Joel Embiid. He's not as much of a of a sexy pick as Ben Simmons. So, I mean, he tweeted something. He tweeted something after the announcement was made. This was like a few hours later, and he posts a song title and says, "Politics as usual." I'm like that's it. It's pretty much it. 
Yeah. Uh, so if you if you don't know, uh, he's talking about the uh, Jay Z politics as usual. So uh, after the Sixers win in Toronto, uh, Toby posted that up. So clearly. He was in his feelings a little bit, as much as he said he wasn't. Uh, he, he was. Listen, I thought he was going to make it. I thought it was well-deserved. Um, but the competition was stiff, man. The competition was stiff. I mean, are you taking Julius Randle off for Tobias Harris with the numbers he's putting up in New York? New York is in the playoff hunt. I mean, that's hard. Boston fell out of the playoff hunt, but Tatum and Brown are hooping right now. Even though Boston as a team together aren't playing well, and they fell with this last week road road trip and, and home games they had, those two are putting up phenomenal numbers. Vukovic in, in Orlando. I mean, the kid's been a stud since he's been traded there from uh, – um, uh, Collins, Doug Collins, and that, I always thought that was a move that never should have been made. So I mean, coin flip, yeah, Vukovic, Tobias Harris, maybe. I'm not taking Zach Levine off, and obviously you're not taking James Harden off. So, I mean, it was tough competition, you know. Zion, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think the NBA maybe force-fed us that one. Nat, you see what I'm saying? Like, where do you go with that? Yeah, again, it's just all about sexy names. And there, you only have, you only have like, a limited number of spots that you can put on those rosters. You only have a limited spot you can put on the team. So, again, I understand some of the snubs. But, man... I mean, Devin Booker, didn't he get snubbed? Yeah, for, wait a minute. This is the first, this is the second year in a row Book, Booker got snubbed. And he's being he's being uh he's he's being the person to replace Anthony Davis. So he gets in and it's the second year in a row he has to be a replacement for someone that's hurt. But I mean, I'll tell you something right now. And I, I misspoke. I said Zion. Zion's out west. I didn't mean in the east. I was just talking names in general overall. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how you leave Devin Booker off the uh, all-star reserves, let alone starters. But then again, it's the same situation with Tobias Harris. Everyone's putting up numbers. Everyone's putting up numbers. I mean, it's a tough, tough call. I mean, I would actually, I'll be real talk with you. I probably would have snubbed someone like Paul George, even though he's playing big, because he's been there before. And then we let him replace Anthony Davis, so Booker could have been the guy who got it. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios you, you can look at. But I'm thankful I don't have that job into – Picking Team Durant, Team LeBron, and the NBA All Stars. My job was to vote for my guys, which I did. I voted for M for MB. I voted for Simmons, and I voted for Harris. But ugh, man, this—I mean, it's a tough list. 
Doc was actually calling coaches around the league, Nat, you know, trying to see what was going on with Ben Simmons. And coaches around the league were saying, why are you calling about Ben Simmons? So, clearly, the NBA community knows Ben Simmons is an all-star player. And they know he is that guy who is controlling the Sixers on defense and and helping them be the number one team in the East right now coming down the stretch, Nat. And then that's telling you something. Where your coach tells you you're going to make the team because of the feedback from the NBA community. And the NBA community say, well, why are you calling about Ben? So all the internet GMs might not know as much as they think they know, right, Nat? <laughs> the stat heads, the analytics nerds, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean you could go on and on. But it's what it was clear and it was clear as day, and it's well deserved. They're the number one team in the East. They're the number one team in their division. Um, they got to have at least two guys on there. I think they should have had three with Tobias Harris. And like I said, maybe Vukovic, I would have took off in the East. Um, Zion maybe took him off and had Booker in. And then Zion could have replaced Anthony Davis. Who knows? There's, there's all kinds of scenarios. You could have played with that. But, I mean, it's going to be a fun night. They're doing something different than that. You know, they got the three-point shootout, the dunk contest, and the NBA All-Star game all in one night, March 7th. Tune in, everybody. Uh, cheer for your players. You know, it's going to, be, it's going to have uh, some fireworks. I know Atlanta, though, isn't happy with it, Nat. They think this could be a, temp, a potential uh, super spreader. So hopefully Adam Silver has some guidelines and some uh, rules and regulations laid out in a format that everyone is going to be involved in this production to follow to keep everyone safe and healthy like he kind of did in the bubble uh, down at Disney. You know what I mean, Nat? Yeah, you need to have protections and guidelines in place. I mean, look, I know it's... I'm not going to go there, so I'm going to cut that out. Um, Yeah, because if you have one... (laughs) If you have one player that gets the virus, and it's one thing when it's on your own team, but if you have one player that in the all-star game that gets it, then they're spreading it to a bunch of different players on a bunch of different teams. That's a problem. Because who's to say that the entire NBA is going to get it at that point? Yeah. And that's what Atlanta's concern is, that it could be a potential super spreader with this event. Um. I think I asked you this, but what what do you uh, think about the All-Star game this year with the circumstances? Do you think they should have had it or just give the players a couple days off? Get, yeah, just give the players a couple days off. And I, I, I don't take too much stock in All-Star games. I think you should just be awarded as an All-Star for the season. Not necessarily playing the game. I don't think fans really care too much about the All-Star game this year. I think fans in general don't care too much about All-Star games across all sports. I think they care about All-Star awards. They don't care about the actual games. At least I certainly don't. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. And there is a community out there that doesn't like the uh, All-Star games because the players don't play hard. But traditionally in the NBA, they always play hard in the fourth quarter. 
uh, it's like the it's like the best um, open gym game you'll you'll see with the greatest players on the court. So some fans like me, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I would like them to start playing defense a little bit more than just the fourth quarter. Maybe the second half, first half, do do everything you want to do, but then second half, tighten up and let's make it a game because that's always makes it fun. Um, Nat, I asked you a question earlier in the show. Embiid error or Iverson error? It was a big topic of discussion this week. Which error are you choosing? That's so that's so difficult. So I grew up I grew up in Iverson's time and I'm living through Embiid's time right now. Now the thing with Embiid's time is that I'm watching the prime of Joel Embiid right now and I get to cut up his highlights for a living. That to me is incredible. It's something I'm going to get to tell my children and grandchildren about. So that's special in and of itself, obviously. But you know, growing up for Iverson, you know, I was I was a young kid when Iverson when his, was in his prime. You know, I got to see him play live, but I don't really remember that much about seeing him play live. So it was just one of those things because I was so young, I did I, I wasn't able to appreciate it as much. So. Oh man, that's I kinda oh, This is it's so tough because I know the outcome of Iverson, but we don't know what the outcome of a beat is gonna be. So mm, I'll Yeah, say, listen. I'll say Iverson. Uh, okay. Because right. I, I kind of, I want to relive that so that way I could truly appreciate just how great Allen Iverson was. All right. Listen, I was going to say it is a tough answer. It really is. And I don't think no answer is the wrong answer. I mean, let's be honest, because Allen Iverson is an NBA Hall of Famer. Charles Barkley is an NBA Hall of Famer. Dr. J is the NBA Hall of Famer. Joel Embiid is trending to be an NBA Hall of Famer. If he has continues his career the way those general those past Sixers have. I grew up Nat, I I was at Iris's games. I mean, I guess I'm lucky. Because I was, you know, I was a kid when Doc and Barkley played and fell fell in love with the game. And I was coming into my own when Iverson came. So, you know, I got to see that Iverson era was, I mean, it was, it, you just got captured. Non-sport. Today, I talk to people who say, I don't watch much NBA, but, man, the Iverson years were great. And now they're starting to get into the NBA and the Sixers because of Joel Embiid. It it really is a tough question. Um, Track record, Iverson has the MVP, all-star selections, the points, assists, play, hurt. Left his heart on the court, night in, night out. He gave it his all. You went to the arena just to see what AI was going to do next, or 
what Mama Iverson was going to stand up and wave in the in the crowd behind the basket, or what sign she had. Iverson was he he tra- he was a he transcended the NBA. Okay, he he did stuff in the NBA that we would never see. He took the NBA into a different direction from Jordan. Jordan was the business, clean cut, marketable guy. AI was the guy that you took from the hood and he brought it into the NBA and made it cool. And he was marketable with Reebok, the jewelry, and all the other uh, business decisions he was making. So, indeed, it... I mean, the stuff we're seeing with Embiid, we might not ever see again with these numbers, what he's doing. It's a hard question for me. It really is. And God bless anyone who can answer it. Um, And when the question was brought up, I didn't have no answer. And as I ask you and as I'm talking now, I still don't have no answer. Let's put it like this. I'll say Iverson right now, based on the fact that I'm looking at a banner that I have that I talked about before that says NBA Finals 2001, Eastern Conference Championship, Philadelphia 76er. Embiid's got to get at least to the finals. Embiid has Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and players around him to get the job done. Different situation, Allen Iverson was the guy. The only thing about Allen Iverson was Allen Iverson had dogs on defense. You had George Lynch, Tyrone Hill, Theo Ratliff. These guys knew their role, and they played it well around Iverson. Eric Snow, who I couldn't stand, but he knew his job. So when Iverson moved on to Denver, they had a squad in Denver. And they lost in the Western Conference Finals with Carmelo and AI. So, but that wasn't our AI in Philly. It's a tough one, Nat, right? It really is. I'm not going to hold you. Listen, I'm not even going to hold you to it saying you put AIs over MB because you could change your mind. If MB accomplished what AI did, getting the All Star Award, maybe getting All Star MVP, getting the season MVP, lead his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, potentially get the Sixers into the Finals. I mean, it's, it, that's a topic we got to bring back another day, Nat. Don't yeah, you agree? Yeah, exactly. Is it for me? Is it one of those things? If I got to see more of Iverson when I was younger, that's that's the Man. reason why I pick Iverson because I I didn't watch enough of him <laughs> growing up. Hey, uh, oh man, AI was oh, he was electric, man. I'm telling you, AI did some stuff. Guy broke Jordan's ankles at the top of the key. We see it all the time. Dunked on Marcus Camby, who was in the same draft of that one-hand dunk in Toronto. Gave you almost a week straight of 50-plus points. 
I mean, AI was just electric, man. He was electric. I love, I love AI. Pound for pound, he's one of my, each of my top five favorite players. AI was that electric, but MB, man, I'm just happy that I can have this conversation and this discussion about my team and these and these types of players. Now I just wish we had more championships to back all this up. That you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, it's just it's just a good topic. We will bring it back. But listen, we're up to a uh, point of the show where we say Q and A, where we have Q and A. Nat has the questions, I have the answers, and uh, we're gonna see what we can get into. Hey Nat, what's it looking like? All right, T. Will. So our first question actually comes from a question you proposed on your Twitter account. Sixer fans, would you consider bringing back Glenn Robinson III under this new coaching staff since the Kings are planning to waive GR3? And so David asks you, can GR3 be any worse than Mike Scott? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, let's be real. Mike Scott hasn't really given us much. He's been injured pretty much most of the season. He had a dismal last season. Haven't really saw the Mike Scott we all thought we were going to have prior to 2017-18. So I'm intrigued at GR3. Younger, more bounce, better shooter, probably D's up a little bit better. But Mike Scott gives you that dog mentality that the Sixers desperately need on his team as well. Dwight Howard brings it too as well. I would go with GR3 over Mike Scott right now. As much as I like Mike Scott, I mean, this is more of a business decision than a friendship decision. But uh, definitely GR3. What else you got, Nat? The next question comes from Gerb. So Gerb is asking, so shooting threes is great from Danny Green, but shouldn't he try to pass to the other Sixers more? The turnovers are brutal. Uh, Listen, turnovers... Are, are starting to become a small concern. Uh, Doc has talked about it in, in the last two post games. You know, it, it's only it's it's an alarm. It's a it's an alarm that's going off. It's not going off really loud right now. But you gotta understand, we just came off against two uh, a team that we played twice uh, with a day in between of a break, kind of like the playoffs where Nick Nurse knows how to coach against the 76ers and each player. This isn't the first time he's coached against them. So. You know, there had to be some adjustments. Danny Green, if he's open, take the shot. That's what he's paid to do. He's paid to shoot, take the shot. Korkmaz, take the shot. Jake, take the shot. But my more concern is not necessarily Danny Green. Passing the ball is Danny Green being more consistent. He's got to be more consistent hitting the shot. Uh, that's the only problem I have with it. But other than that, I mean, if, if other players are open... And he doesn't pass the ball. He forces a shot. Yeah, then you have an issue. But really, if he's open, take the shot. You know, that's why you're here. What else What else you got, Nat? I love this guy's username, by the way. G-Wiz, mister. So, G-Wiz, mister, is asking. I'm going off principle, but if any team is going to have three All-Stars on it, shouldn't it be the number one seed? Thus, shouldn't the Sixers have three All-Stars on it? I agree. I've been preaching that. I think Tobias should be on the team. You take out someone like Vukovic from Orlando. Yeah, back in the day, you had the best team, best record in your conference. 
you always got the most players. And you got the coach. So, I mean, as Tobias said, politics is usual. You know? It is what it is right there. Hey, man, listen. I'm just happy we got two stars again. You know, the AI years, we only had AI. We had Iguodala in the dunk contest, Corver a couple of three-point shootouts. But our only all-star was AI. That was it. Now we got Ben and Joe. And almost had potential to buy us. I'm cool. I'm cool. We got two. And we got our coach. So let's see what happens. All right, Nat. What else you got? Last one? Yeah, our last question comes from Snoop Ruffin. Uh, <laughs> so why should Tobias Harris make the all-star team? He's playing third fiddle to Joel and Ben. They aren't giving the Sixers three all-stars. Uh, well, listen. All right. There's no, there's no point in changing your mind. That's your thought process. But I'll entertain you. You give Tobias Harris that third nod because he is playing like an all-star. And he's putting up all-star caliber numbers. And he, let's be honest. There's players that play fiddle to other players. That's their role. Jalen Brown is playing fiddle to Jason Tatum. But he made the all-star reserves. With, so the Celtics got two. James Harden plays fiddle to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He made the all-star team. Just use them as an example. That's all. That's all I'm doing is an example. I'm not saying who's better, who's worse. Just an example of fiddle players. Players that play fiddle to one another do make the all-star team. Let's keep it real. If you understand the game and you see that the guy is having a career year, first half of the season before the all-star game, you need to know that he needs to be on the all-star team, especially if your team's number one in the in the conference. That's why you give him the all-star team, because his team is number one. I mean, let's keep it real. I I'd, I'd actually agree with you if the Sixers were middle of the pack or they were out of the playoff run. That's why you need to be an all-star based on those premises right there. I mean, you always want to have stuff. Look at Devin Booker. Devin Booker should be an all-star, but he got snubbed, but he's going in because of Anthony Davis. Like, like I said, is it's not about playing fiddle because Chris Paul made it and Devin Booker did. And Chris Paul's playing fiddle to Devin Booker. And the Phoenix Suns are playing good. So, I mean, but you have your thought. I mean, and it's all good. I appreciate it. So, Nat, let's wrap it up. Uh, that was Q&A. If you guys want to get on Q&A, you can always reach us at Big T Will at Nat underscore Marlo or at Full Court 76. Um, Nat, what's your final thought this week? All right, my final thought is that I'm hoping that Tobias Harris can help me earn more money. So <laughs> I banked on him for rebounds oh, in one of the last games. And I banked him on the over for points as he got snubbed. I thought he'd be mad about that. So... I'm hoping that Tobias Harris can make me more uh, more money in the future. Maybe I can play some larger bets later on down the line. That and you've been winning big. You've been winning big this year. I forgot to mention that. And I got to get some of your betting lines and some of your gambling tips. Listen, man, I've, I've been – yes, I've been on fire. I thought I was going to get through the whole show without you mentioning it. But, um, yeah, I'm on a crazy run right now, and I hope it can continue. I had a couple of people DM me the same thing you just asked. I had a couple of people text me. 
saying spread the advice, spread the wealth. Um, the only thing I can tell you, don't do it pregame. Wait for the live action. Watch the flow of the game. Watch the pace. Get your calculator out. Calculate how many points you think have you scored with six minutes left. You know? That's the only advice I could give you. And if you see something weird and, you know, and it doesn't seem right, take it. Because it just might happen. And that's what I've been doing. That's the only advice. But my final thought, um... Thanks a lot, Nat, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, my final thought of the of the this week, spring is coming. Spring is coming, spring is coming. Get out of this cold weather. So but hey man, let's once again I want to thank uh, Evan Dumro coming on the show. Hopefully uh Sixers take care of business against the Cavs as well as they as I think they should. And uh Embiid and Ben play together. And uh, hopefully get uh, old school load management in this game. That uh, Sixers Dallas. Let's uh, next time we talk. Let's hopefully we're talking about a win with Luca and Porzingis coming into town. Uh, I like to see the Sixers uh, win this next few games, this next stretch going into uh, All Star break. Hey man, I'm your host Big T Will. That's Nat Marlowe, producer extraordinaire. This is Philly Full Court Press. We'll talk to you on the other side. You guys have a good week. Peace.